welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Okay, over the past few weeks we've been looking at the life of Joseph and we've seen how he was loved by his father and in fact he was the favourite of his sons. We've looked at how he was hard-working and successful in what he did. We've looked at how he came under temptation and ended up being thrown into prison because of false accusations. And we've looked at how even in all these situations he remained open to hear from God. And he was faithful in how he responded to those trials and tribulations. And I know Natalie said the other week that she's looking forward to hearing the end of the story. Well, I got it wrong, Natalie. When I said Malcolm was going to be preaching the last bit today, I was wrong. He's doing it next week. So you've got another week to wait. But the good news is, after all these years when things don't seem to be working out for Joseph... This week we start looking at a period where God's plans on his life really start to come together. If you want to follow it, I'm reading from Genesis 41, verse 1. The background to this, if you remember, is that Joseph was in prison. He'd interpreted the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. And although one of them had said they wouldn't forget him, they did. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. 
I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he'd been shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream that no one can interpret, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I can't do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I've never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them up, no one could tell that they'd done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It's just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, 
There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath Paneah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. So, now we begin to see the time eventually come for Joseph's release. He's let out of prison and the fulfilment of his earlier dreams starts to come true. Do you remember those earlier dreams? He had seen himself being raised up and his family bowing down to him. And here at last, he was liberated. He was let out of those restrictive, confining walls and put centre stage in the middle of Egypt. But actually, what is it that caused his release? First of all, God had promised it would happen. The story started with a definite promise from God. He revealed his purposes by giving Joseph two visions. We need to remember that. We need to remember that the promises of God will always be fulfilled. We read, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. All God's promises are yes in Christ. That's from 2 Corinthians 1.18. God has declared that he will glorify his Son. He's, he has declared and promised that he will glorify his Son through the church. His church. And so when we're tempted to look out at the church and feel it's feeble or ineffective, we need to remember what God's promises say about the church and how it will be raised up and it will glorify Jesus. Secondly, the next reason these things came about were because of Joseph's persevering faithfulness. 
He'd been through hard times. And Joseph could have easily disqualified himself time and time again. But he remained firm. He kept an absolute integrity as he passed from one challenge to another. And in passing those challenges, he displayed that his character was being changed from one degree of glory to another. And God wants us to mature just like that. If in your life you feel sometimes you're being taken from one situation to another, don't complain. But instead, believe God's promise that all things work together for good. Paul writes in Romans 8, And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that's us. The third reason these things came about was because Joseph emerged because of his spiritual life. He was still living, even in prison, with his spiritual anointing. He was still using the gifts that God had given him. When the baker and the cupbearer came to him, he still interpreted his dreams. Now he had every reason to have become cynical or sceptical or disillusioned or dispirited. But actually he hadn't done that. Instead of them saying, uh, when, he came, when they came to him, I used to have dreams as well, but they never amounted to anything. He had clung to the promises that God had given him. He'd remained faithful and he was still using the spiritual authority that God had given him. So to move on with the story. What we're looking at today is the butler suddenly remembered that man that he'd met in prison who lived in a slightly different world to him and wasn't shut in to the confines of the ignorance and barrenness that was in his own life. This guy was living on a different spiritual plane and could interpret dreams that the magicians and the wise men of the time couldn't. And as we look at it, we have to see that it was the supernatural of God's spirit that provided the breakthrough for Joseph. It was those supernatural gifts that did it. That ability to interpret those dreams. And I believe it's also those supernatural gifts that are available to us today that will provide the breakthrough for the church in these end times. We're already seeing people in our churches who have been previously closed to the gospel but who open their hearts as a result of seeing spiritual gifts like words of knowledge or healing happen before their eyes. People are more impressed by the supernatural than things that are done pleasantly, decently or in order. I mean, when you look at the church... We have to admit, it can look really impressive on occasions like royal weddings. With all the pomp and the ceremony, it can look really good on TV. But the sobering truth is that few people beat at the doors of the church afterwards saying, that was just so impressive, 
you must show us how we can know a God like that. Beautifully organised occasions are not the answer to life's needs. We need an anointing of God to open up the way. Pharaoh recognised it. He said that Joseph was a man in whom there was a divine spirit. That was the hallmark of Joseph's life. And it needs to be the hallmark of the church. People need to recognise us as a community in whom they see that divine spirit working. Joseph was a mature young man. He was aged about 30 by now. He'd lost the abrasiveness that he had when he was 17 and when he was offending his brothers and his, his parents. And God's going to mature his church just like that. He's going to mature his church to a fullness of stature that we see demonstrated in Christ. That's what we're meant to be doing. Becoming more like Christ. And the church needs to step forward and be seen as a people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. Joseph came out of that furnace situation that we talked about last time. And he came out of it in an intimate relationship with God. And so when the Egyptians challenged him, we understand you can interpret dreams. He at once said, it's not me. Not me. I can't do that. But God will. And they therefore immediately were brought into an encounter, not just with a man, but with God. He wasn't a magician. He wasn't a wise man. He was a man with a divine spirit working in his life. In 2 Corinthians 1 we read, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He said that their pressures were to teach them not to trust in themselves, but in a God who raises the dead. When we go through the furnace, we can lose our self-confidence because the furnace shows us just how much rubbish we are carrying in our lives. We discover what God has known about us from the very beginning. And when he was a young man, Joseph could have thought, as as many people did in that day, oh, there's a God of the mountains, there's a God of the valleys, there's a God of Egypt, and there's a God of Canaan. And when facing the challenge of Egypt, he could have thought, well, my family religion, the God of Canaan, is totally inadequate for what I'm facing in different circumstances. A lot of young people become vulnerable when they start to wonder whether the faith their parents have held will be adequate 
to face the challenges of their generation. But Joseph hadn't surfaced with a second-hand faith. He boldly declared, My God will intervene. He rules over everything and has determined these events. And through doing that, Pharaoh met with the Almighty God. Joseph had a clear understanding that his father's God and his God was the king of all the nations. And sometimes for us it's easier to be apologetic and and defensive about our beliefs when we're faced with those who do not believe in God. Joseph didn't think that was the way forward. He believed that his God was as much a master of that mighty empire of Egypt as he was of this little insignificant land of Canaan. Wherever Joseph was, whether he was in Potiphar's house or in prison, or even standing before the Pharaoh who was one of the most powerful men on earth at that time, he stood confident in his God. Our generation needs to see people who know God in that same way. People who don't confront them with personal opinions, but speak boldly about their Christian faith in God. We often hear people complaining that they don't know what's happening to this nation. And too often, we agree that our nation is in a terrible condition. By God's grace and by his spirit in us, we need to explain that the nation has turned its back on God and that this is the reason why it has lost its way. We need to confront our atheistic nation with the God in whom we believe. Joseph immediately brought the presence of God into the centre of the Pharaoh's predicament. He dreamed of seven prosperous years and seven famine years. In Psalm 105, it says, God called for a famine upon the land. We see that this is God's providence. The story started when God caused some Ishmaelites to be moving south to Egypt on the very day that Joseph's brothers were turning against him. God called for them to be there. And in exactly the same way, God now calls for a famine. In the same way we can call a dog, God can summon a famine. He rules over everything. I don't know whether Max comes back when you call, but famines follow God's decree. God doesn't chase famines. They come at his command. And today, there is a terrible moral famine stalking our land. Our nation is morally bankrupt. There's a famine in the arts. Much of our music, theatre and painting is starting to reflect emptiness and pessimism. There's a famine of fresh ideas, a famine of skill, a famine of steadfastness. People just don't want to stick with things. 
was a famine of integrity. But probably the greatest famine of all is there is a famine of the teaching of God's word. It's the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen to a nation is for God not to speak anymore. If you look through the chapter of Romans 1, there is a terrible phrase which occurs three times. In the New King James Version, it says, God gave them up. In the NIV, it says, God gave them over. In verse 21, Paul is talking about godlessness and the wickedness of men. And he writes, verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God gave them over, or up, in the sinful desires of their hearts. That's verse 24. And then in verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And in verse 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. When people have refused, rejected, and turned their backs, sometimes God gives them up. Would you want to be given up on by God? You know, hell is a place where God will never speak again. And we're in a land where there is a lack of the word of God being faithfully and powerfully proclaimed. And it's leading to a moral decline across our nation. In Joseph's day, God called for a famine. And what used to be healthy and strong was just destroyed. The nation's resources were plundered. And yet, wonderfully, on this occasion, the famine was to provide a backdrop to a picture of mercy and grace which God was about to paint all over it. He created the famine to highlight the resources that Joseph would later provide. And we need to pray that as the darkness covers the earth, God will cause the light of the church to arise in an amazing contrast. If we would just clearly focus on God on his wonderful promises of grace and mercy. We don't need to panic at a time of famine. We need to believe in the almighty God who rules over the whole of history. It was in this context that Joseph was prepared. His God-given wisdom would revolutionise the whole situation. And next week, Malk is going to tell us the end of the story. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 